Jesus, we give you great praise. We stand in your presence this morning. We honor you. We know we're not heard for our many words, and so we will just say as your people, amen and amen. You can have a seat. Well, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. We are so glad that you are here. Why don't you tell the person on your right, I'm glad you're here. And tell the person on your left, I'm feeling Mexican food today, which I am. That's where the Joneses are going to be, if I had any kind of authority to make that kind of stuff happen. I don't normally uh, give uh, titles to our messages, but I thought I would give one today. Today, the title of the message is The Gospel According to Ezekiel. Because here's what I did as a pastor. I thought, what is the best follow-up message to Easter Sunday? Easter Sunday, you've got the biggest crowds you'll have all year long. It's a celebration of resurrection. Uh, Just such a great moment. How do you follow that up? And I thought, let's talk about Ezekiel. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about Ezekiel? I know you guys were leaning into Ezekiel this week. I mean, prophetic book, it's going to be great. Um, But there is a gospel in Ezekiel, this Old Testament prophetic book. You have people who chose their own way, living under the consequences of that choice. But there's a bright promise of a good future. You know, Ezekiel is a very powerful book. Uh, but it's also very weird. In fact, uh, maybe you sat down before and thought, you know what, I've never read the book of Ezekiel. I'm, gonna, I'm just feeling it. I'm feeling especially committed to Jesus right now. And, uh, and you read chapter 1, and you don't even get halfway through chapter 1 when it feels like the, you know, things have fallen apart, and it's talking about stuff that's not in this world. And uh, you know, I think to myself, you know what, I'll just read Genesis again for the 14th time. <laughs> We'll get to Ezekiel later, but Ezekiel is a very powerful, powerful book. Uh, you can find the background story to the prophetic words of Ezekiel in 2 Kings chapters 22 through 25. I'll give you a little summary. Two world powers are battling it out. Babylon and Egypt. Israel is kind of in the middle. Both of these powers want to control Israel. Israel has had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. They had one good one in there named Josiah, but the guys before him and the guys after them, uh, him were, were terrible, and they led the people to worship idols instead of worshiping God. And so God, after warning and warning and warning, is going to use Babylon to bring judgment to his people because they refuse to do the right thing. Ezekiel um, was a captive of Babylon. So Babylon comes and they kind of circle around Jerusalem, eventually take it over, and then they they pick uh, the youngest, the smartest, the wealthiest, the most beautiful, tens of thousands of people from Jerusalem, and they bring them back to Babylon. And Ezekiel and his family were some of these exiles. Uh, Ezekiel, though, then got a word from God that he should be a prophet, and he spent 22 years being a prophet to Israel there in Babylon. His messages were to these exiles living away from their home country. He overlapped with Jeremiah and Daniel. Uh, Two goals today in today's message. Goal number one is that God would speak to you. Um, Maybe you have a decision 
in your life right now and you think, well, I could go path A or I could go path B and praying that God would speak to you today to give you some clarity about that. Maybe you, uh, God is going to speak to you and just encourage you in the way that, that you've been going and uh, just fan your flame. Uh, maybe some of us today have been kind of le- leaning in this one direction, and God's going to say, no, I don't want you to lean in that direction. I want you to walk in this way. Others of us, we need some course correction. We've headed in the wrong direction. But goal number one this morning is that God would speak to you, just to you, right where you are with what you need. Uh, goal number two is that we would learn something today. You know, a lot of times we come to church, and it's just a reminder of things that we learned a long time ago, and, and sometimes that's very good. In fact, John, in his epistle of 1 John, he says, I write these things to remind you, and so that's a very good thing. But I, I want to give you a few things today that you maybe don't know, so that when we leave today, not only do we leave with a word specifically for us from God, but we leave with some new information Uh, some new avenues for him to speak to us in the future. And so I picked the book of Ezekiel because I'm guessing not very many of us know about the book of Ezekiel. Here's a rundown of what happens in Ezekiel. You can find it on the screens uh, behind me. Uh, Chapters 1 through 3, Ezekiel gets his call and his commission from God. Chapters 4 through 7 is about the coming doom of Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, it's a warning against Israel's idolatry. 13 and 14, warning against false prophets. Chapters 15 through 19, Good news, more doom coming. If you're wondering, what does the theme of Ezekiel? Doom. You can't go wrong with doom. Chapters 20 to 24, countdown to catastrophe. That could be countdown to doom. Um, Chapters 25 through 32, it's judgment against other nations. Uh, Chapters 34 uh, through 48 is a restoration of Israel's future. So that's where the gospel is. These people have chosen their own way. They've chosen to worship these idols and doom is coming. Judgment is coming. And that's what they're living in. They're not living in their land. They're living in Babylon's land. That's the consequences of their sin. That's the consequences of their choice. But there's a bright future. There's restoration of God's presence, restoration of future promises. So as you read Ezekiel, really as you read a lot of the Old Testament literature, one of the main questions that you will ask yourself is why do these people keep choosing their own way? These people that are living in Babylon, they had years and generations of stories of their ancestors about the bad things that would happen to them if they did not follow God about the bad things that would happen to them if they worshipped idols. Why did they continue to choose their own way? It's a great question to ask on a national scale. It's also a great question that you can ask in your own home. My daughter Annabeth is six, but when she was three and four, she was kind of spicy. You know, you've been around kids who were spicy. And I remember one time I was telling her, uh, she was reaching for another cookie. It was another one. We were on like cookie number four. And I just felt like I needed to draw the line somewhere. Of course, you know, Amanda wasn't around or we'd be eating bananas and vegetables and stuff. But dad's on duty. And so it's cookies. And so I say to her, she's reaching for cookie number four. Annabeth, no more cookies. And then we just kind of lock eyes for a moment. And what I'm saying to her through my eye contact is... Don't do it. If you do it, it's going to be bad. That's bad news coming for you. Don't eat the cookie. What she's saying through her eye contact is, I think I'm going to eat the cookie. And so we're just locked on and she goes to reach for it. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Terrible. Doom is coming. Doom is coming to you. And of course, what she does, she grabs the cookie. And you ask, why would you choose your own way? 
You have a lifetime of experience that bad things happen when you choose your own way. It's a great national question. It's a great question to ask somebody else, and it's definitely a great question to ask yourself. Because you have a lifetime of experience on top of the experiences we get to read about in the Word of God that when we choose our own way over against God's way, it doesn't end well. And I want us to leave today not with a to-do list. In fact, we won't leave with a to-do list. I want us to leave today by just seeing something that will protect us in the future from choosing our own way. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. This is Ezekiel speaking. He says, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and the fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Now in the scripture, when a storm rolls in, but there's glory and lightning in the storm, that means that God is arriving. Now what's happened in verses 1 through 3 is Israel, or uh, excuse me, Ezekiel is living in his village in Babylon along a river. And so it paints a picture that he's just kind of out walking along this river and here comes this storm, but it's not a weather storm, it's the storm of the glory of God. Verse 5. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings, and their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Now here's where you go. Let's just go back to Genesis, because out of the cloud, as Ezekiel's by the river, the glory of God What appears to him are four living creatures. There's fours here. There's four living creatures. And the reason they're called living creatures is because he didn't have it in his vocabulary to know what it was he was looking at. Four living creatures with four faces and four wings. Verse 8. And under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. So at least we can get our minds wrapped around that. So we're weird, but then we got human hands. Uh, We can picture that. And the four had their faces... And their wings thus, their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. So he's by the river, outside the village. Storm cloud rolls in. He knows it's not a storm. It's the glory of God, the lightning and thunder everywhere, but it's glowing. And out of that glowing cloud, he sees these four creatures. They have four faces. Now, what are their four faces? First is a human face. You got that picture? So just picture your face on this thing. That's helpful. Uh, Another one of their faces was the face of a lion. A lion speaks in the scripture to the people of God, even to us, what courage, royalty, power. 
One of the faces is an eagle. If you've ever seen a bald eagle in flight, what does it speak? It's just stately. It's this sense of honor about it, a sense of glory about it. And then the face of an ox. Now you're thinking, well, if I had to pick, you know, four faces, I don't know that I'd put a cow on there uh, because an ox doesn't mean that much to us. But in this culture at this time, if you had an ox, that was extremely helpful to you. It was a sign of authority. Uh, It was a sign of power, of influence, of wealth, because it was the most desired of the domesticated animals. So you got these four faces, and they're all facing in different directions. So what that means is that these living creatures can move in any direction they want to go without turning. So you can see them on four sides, and they can move. They can go forward. They can go backwards. They go to the right, to the left. They never have to turn. Their wings are touching one another. This is what it says in verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of flashing light. So not only are they so undescribable that these are the words that Ezekiel uses, but they're lit up with glory. Verse 15, Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like gleaming of barrel, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. So now we've got four living creatures and with four faces, four wings, and now we've got four wheels that are all decked out in jewels. And they're not a normal wheel, they're a wheel within a wheel. So it's that same idea. They can go forward, they can go to the right, to the left, or backwards, and it never has to turn. This is what it says in verse 17, or excuse me, verse 18. And the rims were tall and awesome. I don't know if any of you have trucks or Jeeps, uh, men, but if you want wheels, uh, but your wife's not really letting you go, you can say, hey, it's biblical to get tall and awesome wheels. <laughs> Verse 19, and when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood, and when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So the idea that this painting is like they're pulling something, but they don't have to pull it, because wherever these creatures want to go, the wheels go there. The creatures want to go left, then they're going to go left. The creatures want to go right, the wheels are going to go right. So they're pulling something without having to pull it. And here's what they're pulling, verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse. Now, don't think of an expanse like an expanse of a sky, but think of a very large platform. Shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads, and under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. So what Ezekiel, picture him, he's outside of his village along this river. Storm cloud of glory of God rolls in out of it. Four living creatures with four faces, four wings, with these four wheels pulling a large platform. And when the platform moves, he doesn't just hear the sound. He can feel the sound in his chest. 
It's loud. It's like the voice of God. It's like the voice of an army. There's a rumble to it. Verse 26, And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. So Ezekiel sees God, but he doesn't really see God. That's why he describes it like, I looked at his waist, and above that was fire and light, and I looked down from his waist, and what was it? It was fire and light, and there was a rainbow around, and look at his response. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. This is Ezekiel's first message to these people who have chosen their own way, living under the consequences of their own way. It starts with this vision that he received of God. And here's what it tells me. That I choose my own way because I underestimate the holiness of God. You know, in an effort to connect with us, people have told us the parts of spirituality that would self-motivate us. And what self-motivates us? Well, things that result in good for, for me. That's why a lot of messages, even the ones that I bring to you on Sunday morning, end with, do this, because when you do this, then these good things will happen to you. And that's 100% true. Being connected in a relationship with God yields for us an incredible harvest of good things. But after Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year of people trying to connect with me to tell me how being connected to God yields all these great things for me, I sometimes, um, what happens is that my self-importance in this faith, faith gets inflated and God's holiness as a part of this, kind of gets dismissed. A lot of us came today because it will yield good things for us. We came to church because maybe something's going to help you in your marriage. We come to church because we get to connect with one another, and that's a good thing for us. We come to church because, you know, it's just part of growing spiritually. We, we come for a lot of good things, but how many of us came today with this picture in our minds that we were going to sing songs and come around the word of one whose entourage is four living creatures with four faces and four wings pulling a giant chariot throne. I mean, that's not how we set the table this morning. Why? Because most of us live a faith that's really built around all of the good things that happen to us. And somewhere along the way in a pure-hearted effort to connect with people, this has become about what good happens to us. And, but reading this and seeing it for what it is helps me to understand that I have really minimized the holiness of God. And this was Ezekiel's first touch as a prophet. Same thing happened to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament in, in chapter 6, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the entire temple. Exodus chapter 19, verse 19 says that God answers in thunder. Psalm 104, verse 4 says the winds are his messengers. Isaiah 66, verse 1 says heaven is his throne and the earth is where he props up his feet. Psalm 104, verse 2 says he wears light like a robe. All of those sunset pictures and uh, sunrise pictures that you like to Instagram, that's just God putting on his garment for the day. Psalm 19.1 says the night sky is his DIY project. I don't know what you got going on in your house. Maybe you're crafting something up for Etsy. You got a quilt going. You're making a pair of mittens. Maybe you're doing a woodworking project, building a new shelf. God's DIY project today is the night sky. And Ezekiel's message starts with this vision of God to people who have chosen their own way, who are living under the consequences of choosing their own way. And when I become aware of the holiness of God, I become aware that I have underestimated the consequences of my own sin. And that's what happened to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up the train of his robe, filled the temple. And then you know what Isaiah says? Woe is me. The apostle Peter did this. Jesus did a miracle on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter's response in the middle of the boat in front of all his fishermen friends is he gets down on his knees and he says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. you you got to get away from me. That's what happens when we see God's true holiness is we see ourselves as we truly are. Because our sin doesn't feel that sinful in the background of each other. In the context of my neighbors, my sin doesn't feel that sinful. In the context of what I see on TV and experience in the media, my sin doesn't feel that sinful. Now, if we ask each other to sin bad, we go, absolutely, sin is bad, it's terrible, it's awful, it's a horrible thing. Well, how do we know that? Well, because my preacher said that, or I read that somewhere, or I just, that just seems like the right thing to say. But when was the last time your sin felt sinful? And if you're like, well, honestly, not that long, you know, it's been a long time. It's probably because... It's been a long time since you and I have had an accurate awareness of the holiness of God. Because the, these, as you read Ezekiel, and I know you're going to, I know you're going to go home, you're going to go eat some lunch, and then you're going to sit down in Ezekiel chapter 2, pick up right where we left off, read the whole thing, all 48 chapters. Um, and as you're reading that this afternoon, what you're going to see is Ezekiel is really speaking to these people who are experiencing consequences, but they're really downplaying their consequences. Because they believe that they kind of have an ace in the hole. And the ace in the hole is we're the people of God. So God's going to protect us. Uh, We are the people of God living in the land of God. God's chosen land for our people. So yeah, Babylon's kind of in charge right now. But they're not going to be in charge very long. And we're the people of God living in the land of God. Living in the city of God. The holy city of Jerusalem. And there's no way that God is going to let that city be destroyed. Because the temple is there. And that's where he lives in that temple. So they kind of have this ace in the hole. This way to downplay the consequences of their sin. So it was like, yeah, we're here in 
exile, but we're not going to be here very long, and this is not that big a deal because God's going to protect us for all these previously listed reasons. And Ezekiel is saying, no, 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 the city of Jerusalem, it's coming down. But we do that all the time. We downplay the consequences of our sin. I remember when I was uh, about 16 years old, I had this political science class in high school, and it was just the worst. It, it was the worst. You, you didn't learn anything because the teacher had kind of, you know, he was coasting into retirement. So what he would do, though, is because he wanted you to get good grades, is he would give us the test on Thursday before the test on Friday. So he'd pass out literally the, like the whole test, and he'd go, question number one, the answer is a, and you'd be like, A, question number two, the answer is B. He'd give you all the answers to the test and then let you take the test home to use it as a study guide. So obviously you have to be a pretty not that smart person to get bad grades in this class. So my grades were A, 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 A. One Thursday we go through the whole thing, big test coming up, and, and uh, I take it home. But for whatever reason, I just didn't pick it back up, and I come into political science class, and I don't know the answers to the test. And God forbid that I would have learned anything along the way. I just didn't know the sequence of A, B, C, A, B, D, C, A, B. So I thought, well, I got the answers right here. So I just slid that under my desk in my lap, and uh, he passed out the test, and I went to work. Question number one. A, A, question number two, B, B, and I'm trying to play it cool, but I'm thinking I'm not going to get caught because this guy never gets up from his desk ever, ever, ever. I'm fine, and so I'm doing my work, and I'm getting all the right answers, and out of the top left of my eye, I see him stand up. I'm just thinking maybe he needs some exercise. (laughs) He walks over in front of my row. And he starts walking down. I'm thinking, uh-oh. Stops right at my desk. Just says, give it to me. So I pull it out from underneath and I hand it to him. He takes my real test, writes a big F on it right there. Which I'm not that worried about because why? A, 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 A. Now, if you're a high school student, no Fs. you got to get all As uh, or Bs or Cs. No Fs is bad. But I'm not that worried about it. So he says, I want to see you after class. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Now, you'd think that I'd be terrified. You'd think that I would uh, have thought to myself, hey, he's going to go. He, I mean, like, he has to report that. Like, he's going to report that down to the principal's office. I'm a good kid. I'm not a kid who goes to the principal's office for bad reasons. I go there for good reasons to get awards and stuff, uh, not the bad stuff. But he's going to tell, and I'm going to have to go down there, and there's going to be some kind of punishment. And we have a basketball game tonight, and I'm on the team, and I'm going to have to tell my coach that I can't play. Then my parents are going to show up at the game, and they're going to see me over there in street clothes, and I'm going to have to explain to them why I'm not playing. And this And you'd think that I would be scared, but I wasn't scared at all. So everybody leaves, and he comes over, and we start having a conversation. And a smart person, a humble person, a good person would be like, I'm so sorry. I I don't know why I did that. I know why I did it, because I didn't study. You're so good to us. You're gracious to us. Like, you're too good to us. Honestly, you give us answers to the test. I I, I don't know what I was. I'm a terrible person. Woe is me. But I didn't. I just thought, what does this guy need to hear so that I don't get in any trouble? Because I'm just not getting in trouble. And I told him everything that I thought he would need to hear. And I didn't get in trouble. 
And it never crossed my mind that I would. And I'd love to tell you that I've changed. But I still very am much am a person who, along with you, feels like I get the right to do whatever I want, and I get the right to not reap any of the consequences. I'll give you an illustration of how I know that's true about you, not just true about me. When was the last time you got caught talking about somebody? Didn't you get mad? You know who you got mad at? You got mad at the person you told that secret to or you told that thing to because you told them not to tell. You didn't get mad at yourself because you did something wrong. You dishonored a friend. You got mad at the person who didn't keep your secret about that friend. Because we are people who want to choose our own way and then be free of the consequences. That's why when we are under the discipline of God, because sometimes we are. Hebrews chapter 12 says that if you are not being disciplined by God, you need to be nervous. You need to be real nervous because God disciplines those whom he loves. And so if you look at your life and go, I don't see God disciplining me anywhere. You should be terrified because it is a sign that God loves you. But if we are the kind of people that are like, I can do whatever I want, and then when I am being disciplined, I'm going to stomp my foot, and I'm going to get mad at God. How could you let me be in this situation? Woe is me. Then that discipline that he's put on our life isn't having any effect. It's not leading us to better decisions in the future. It's not leading us to more faithfulness. But when we get an awareness of the holiness of God, we see just how weighty our sin is. And when we experience the discipline of it, we go, yep, I deserve that. I deserve that. And then that discipline has its full work so that we don't get into that situation again. But most of us haven't felt the sinfulness of our sin in a long time because we haven't been aware of the holiness of God in a long time. And here's where we finish with, I think, one of the most interesting questions in all of Ezekiel chapter 1. Why are there wheels on this throne? I don't know if any of you thought about that, but like, what in the heck are the wheels all about? And then it's a wheel within the wheel. The throne is able to move because God is holy, but he's also present. Holiness doesn't mean distance. Holiness of God doesn't mean, now I will summon you into my presence. There is a grace in His sovereignty. He moves towards us. I mean, think about these Israelites. They've been cut off from the rest of their people. They've been cut off from their land. They've been cut off from the holy city. They've been cut off from the temple and somewhere along the line in their years of exile they're going to wonder them wonder to themselves have we been cut off from God but chapter one page one of Ezekiel's prophecies to the people of God is God is on his throne and his throne is able to move he is with you not because of the bricks and mortar of the city of Jerusalem. He is with you because of the bricks and mortar of his own mercy and grace and love and covenant to you. His throne is able to move, which brings a whole new level of importance to prayer. When we think about prayer as 
This is my needs list. Need number one, this. Need number two, this. Now, God, here it is. It doesn't feel that important. This feels like a formality, but when we think about God is on a throne, and it's a glorious throne, and it's a throne that's got lightning and thunder all around it, and his entourage is a bunch of creatures that have four faces and wings, and, and they don't even have to pull the throne. It's like they move the throne, and the throne moves, and they don't have to turn to the left. The throne doesn't have to turn to the right or go forward or backwards. It can just go any way it wants to go, and what we are doing when we're praying is we're praying to the God who's sitting on that throne, and that throne can move into your presence. That's a big deal. That's like, oh, prayer is not an obligation. Prayer is an opportunity for me to move the throne of God from where it is to right where I need it to be. That makes me want to pray. Because it moves into where I need it to move, absolutely. But it's also got a God on it that is on fire with uniqueness. And Jesus was the embodiment of that idea. God with human skin on it. Wheeled as close to humanity as possible. Living among us. And I love what Jesus did for us. Jesus came. God's son. Becoming man. Living perfect. Dying on the cross. Resurrected from the dead. So that, according to John chapter 1, verse 12, you see it on the screen. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What Jesus did for us is now we are able to call that God that we saw in Ezekiel chapter 1, Father. Father. I uh, lived in the same house my whole life until I went off to college. My parents bought it right before I was born. It was a tiny home. If it had a thousand square feet uh, in it, uh, I'd be shocked. Uh, But it had a pretty big lot on it. And so a few years later, my mom and dad uh, wanted a bigger house, but they didn't want to move. And uh, my dad is one of these people that uh, he can do anything. I don't know if you know somebody like this, but it's like on one hand, super awesome. And on the other hand, it's kind of annoying because you can't do, uh, you know, you can only do a few things. But he's the guy that if like your car was broken down out in the parking lot today, like we'd call him and he'd, you know, come and fix it. Uh, uh, He wouldn't even have to go home to get his tools, like just his tools like arrive with him. You know, God's entourage is four living creatures. My dad's entourage is a bunch of tools that just appear like out of his pockets, like huge wrenches and stuff. And and so he could fix your car. If you were having plumbing issues, you know, after church and he were here, he'd go home with you and he'd fix your plumbing for you. If you're building something new, need a little electrical work, he could do that too. He can just do anything. It's unbelievable and uh, and unfair really. And so when they wanted a bigger house, they didn't need to move because my dad could build them a bigger house just on top of the tiny house that they had. So one summer when I was a a young kid, that's what he did. That was his summer project. I don't know what your summer project is going to be, but his summer project was to triple the size of our house. And and you may think, well, he's kind of bragging about how big the house was. If I drove you around the neighborhood that we lived in, you'd be, well, that's not, you'd understand that's not that impressive. Uh, Growing up, the neighbors that lived two doors down from us, they really loved flowers, but we're from Southwest Missouri. So their, their pots were old used tires uh, that set out in their front yard. So, you know, here we are. So it's not bragging (laughs) to say that, you know, we had the largest house in the neighborhood, which we did. But, you know, when you're eight, nine years old, you don't know any of that. 
Um, and so anytime one of my friends would come over to our house, you know, we'd walk them in. And you'd have to walk through the old part first, but you didn't know it was the old part. But you'd walk through the old part, and then you'd get into, like, the good part where the really big living room. And I'd be like, my dad built this. See that where you're standing right there? Like, my dad did that. There wasn't a floor. This used to be grass. Now it's not grass. There's TV right there. My dad did that. You want to go upstairs? My dad built those stairs. There weren't stairs here. You know, God didn't create the stairs along with the tree. My dad built those stairs. You want to go up to my room? He, he did all that. We'd be out front yard, you know, just riding bikes and stuff. And, you know, I'd stop and just admire the house because it was like the only two-story house in our neighborhood. And they'd stop and they're like, what are you looking at? I'm like, my dad built that. Are you not impressed with my dad? It was one story and now it's two-story. There was only one garage, and now there's like a whole nother garage that matches the house out and back. He did all of that. And that's the take home for us today. Not a to-do list for you. The God that rides with an angelic entourage. That's your dad. The God who created the world with just the words of his mouth. My dad did that. The God who split the Red Sea wide open. My dad did that. The God who made the sun stand still for an entire day to give cover to his own people. You can say, my dad did that. The God who lights up the night sky as his free time project. My dad did that. The God who sent his one and only son to live among us so that we could be forgiven and saved. My dad did that. There's no now go and do this. It's just, let's leave today feeling honored that we get to be called sons and daughters. It's not go and perform. It's not go and do this and do this and do this. Today, it's just feel honored that that is your father on his very mobile throne at this very moment. Jesus made that possible. Jesus said that That right to call that God your dad, you're not born with that right. You don't get that right because you're a good person. You don't get that right because you come to church. You don't get that right because you do more good than you do bad. You get that right by believing in the name of Jesus. And here's what I want to ask you today as we leave. Are you confident that you have believed in the name of Jesus and the God of Ezekiel chapter 1 coming in his storm of glory is your dad? your Father, who is in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Because you can leave today confident. Just a second, we're going to end our services as we do every week with a time of ministry and prayer. People are going to come forward to be prayed for. And while they're coming forward, if you're not sure that you're connected to God by believing in the name of Jesus, as they're coming forward, just make your way over here to my right and your left to what we call the access room. There'll be people in there who'd love to have a conversation with you about that so that you leave today knowing that you're connected to the life of Jesus so that you can leave today knowing that you're connected to the life of God. So Father, we pray as a family today, sons and daughters, 
just honored to be your children. We're looking at your greatness. It just feels great to be called a son, daughter. Let me just say to you, Father, that you are impressive and you deserve to be obeyed just for who you are, not just because of what it yields for us. And God, I just say, just lead the way and just asking for forgiveness that in pure-hearted, pure-hearted manner, we have made this all about us and we have forgotten who it is that is our Father. But we remember today and we stand in awe. Maybe not with our physical bodies, but with our souls and our spirits, we fall on our face just as Ezekiel did. Same cloud of glory, same lightning and thunder, same throne on the move. But that's my dad. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We've come to the most important time of our service. If this is your first time here, Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer. We take that very seriously. Our prayer ministry team is going to come forward and take their places. You know, it kind of feels like that moment where we've landed the plane and now the people are coming on saying, stay in your seats until the plane is at complete stop, but you're just waiting to get your overhead bags and get on out. But this is the most important time of the service today because we've talked about God, but now we have the opportunity to talk to God. And who are we talking to today? We're talking to a God who is on a throne that's able to move in the direction that you need him to move to. So our prayers should feel a little bit weightier today. We feel like maybe there's some more power and potential in the request that we make. And we're also praying with family. You're not coming forward to professional ministers, just family here at Bayou City who want to pray for you. So if you're sick today, we want to pray for you. If you've got a burden that you're carrying, we want to pray for you. Whatever's on your heart, we want to pray to the God who rides with an angelic entourage, who is our Father, not just a God in heaven. And if you're ready to give your life today to Christ, then stop by the access room, even right now, and those people will help you. Father, we pray you to answer these prayers for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray.